And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. We're going to be getting right into it. I'm super excited about today's guest. We're covering a topic that we don't always get into, so I think it's going to bring a lot of value for our listeners. Before we jump in and I make an introduction, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Today's guest company is named Pullman and & Comley, and today we're going to be talking about selling online legally. Uh, but before we do that, Russell Anderson, welcome to the show. Uh, I want to get into your I want to get into your story a little bit. We were jamming before before I got started, and um, I feel like there's a lot to you, um, and I want to jump into that. And true to the show, uh, we always get into the backstory. So, Russ, I know uh, be as transparent as you want. Let's have some fun today. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. I think we're going to bring a lot of value around e-commerce and and how to sell and build a business legally, like what online selling is. But um, I know you have a big background. Like, did did you always see yourself, uh, you know, working in legal or or uh, being a partner in a firm like this, or uh, you know, did your your business or entrepreneur journey start before that? I actually did. I kind of view myself as as always being an attorney. I actually went back to California to go, you know, clean out my parents' house. Um, back in the fall, and I found like some sheet somewhere that literally was me giving sort of what I think my life would be like in 20 years. And I mean, I've pretty much nailed it. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, you know, basically it was like, I think I'm going to be an attorney from probably when I was like 12 years old or something like that. So I did, I, I did okay. follow the path that I kind of had set out for myself, but, um, in terms of my, you know, journey within law firms, that's, that's been a little bit more, um, you know, bumpy. I think, you know, I went to, you know, went to law school, graduated, had a really hard time finding that, like that first gig. And so found myself at this medium sized firm, uh, in Connecticut. And, you know, first day I show up there, you know, one of the partners comes up to me and says, how would you like to do real estate law? And so, you know, I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds okay. And I did real estate and I did, a lot of the types of things I do now in terms of like, you know, technology contracting and, um, you know, other things, but, you know, five and a half years into my career, you know, the, the partner who was, you know, sort of my mentor is retiring in a year. And I say, okay, well, you know, what's, what's my path look like, you know, I'm going to have to get trained up a little bit more on real estate to, you know, take over this practice in a year. And, you know, the, the partner says to me, literally, you're not ready. Um, instantaneously. And then two weeks later, uh, someone shows up on my door and says, thank you so much for telling us we didn't have a transition plan. We've hired someone to take over that practice, which, um, you know, is just kind of a little bit of a shock when you're, um, you know, because the normal pathway for, you know, for, for law firms is, you know, typically you spend like six to 10 years kind of building up and then you make partner. 
And so here I am yeah. kind of like right on that threshold of where you would start thinking about making partner. And instead of, you know, making partner, they literally just had the door shams, you know, slammed on my face. And so, you know, very quickly after Headhunter called and I moved on to, you know, another very small firm where it was just one partner and two associates where I got to do a lot of really interesting, much more focused work in the kinds of things I really should be doing for my background. Cause yeah. I'm, I, I'm kind of, you know, a techie kind of person, especially for East coast standards. Um, and, and, and certainly for the standards of sort of lawyers, um, you know, of my ilk, my age. Um, and so, you know, I, I moved on and did a lot more, uh, data focused and technology focused work for, you know, three or four years. And just, I could tell that that firm was also not really going to, you know, support me. Um, and so I moved on to a third firm that was great, a really good fit. Um, but ultimately that I, that firm merged into my current firm, which is Pullman and Comley. And I got sort of taken along for the ride. And the nice thing was they didn't have me, you know, they didn't really have the geek lawyer within Pullman and Comley when I merged in and it was a really nice, it was a really nice fit. So I've, you know, went right in and kind of did the work that they really needed to have, you know, someone to do in terms of, you know, the, you know, the kinds of technology contracting and privacy law and the uh, marketing and advertising type work that I tend to focus on, and you know, in addition to just general corporate. And so as a result, everything worked out and I made partner. Okay. So, so is it a firm, would you guys like, just for those of us that are, you know, less familiar with how some of those, how firms work, I know there's specialties within it. Is, is your guys's firm, um, you know, specific around, uh, is it corporate law? Is it like you have different branches of it? Cause you guys are, right. are a so bigger firm. My, firm. my firm is actually a very old firm within Connecticut. Um, okay. so it's, um, uh, you know, it's been, it's been around for, you know, a hundred years or whatnot, but in terms of, in terms of the way that, um, you know, my firm works and I think a lot of firms work is, you know, it's a big collection of lawyers. I mean, we have roughly a hundred lawyers and, you know, everyone kind of has the things that they do well because the law is just too big for, you know, everyone to know everything. And, yeah. You know, well, I'd like to think that I'm very good at a lot of things, especially with sort of the diverse background that I have. Uh, it's just it's just too much for for someone to try to do everything. And so, you know, the nice thing with having, you know, a, a bigger firm, you know, certainly, you know, I think 100 firms is, you know, 100 lawyers is a nice size uh, is just that you have someone who can help you on just about everything. Right. Yeah. So when you when you say. Uh, and let's just break this down a little bit. I know you shared a little bit, but like when you say you're the geek lawyer, the tech, the tech lawyer, um, what does that mean in common, in common, in common terms? <laughs> sure. term. So within my firm, if there's, you know, a software contract, um, certainly of any size that tends to find its way to me, uh, anything involving, you know, website, uh, terms of use, privacy policies, you know, data policies, just sort of generally data security, uh, data security breaches, those types of things find their way to me. Uh, IP issues, things like trademark and copyright, uh, online advertising, um, you know, tends to find its way to me. So all these types of concepts uh, and legal issues, you know, within the construct of my firm, you know, people will generally bring me in and say, hey, Russ, you know, can you help, you know, my client with this particular issue? 
Okay. So, guys, for anyone listening, that's what uh, geek skills means in the legal in the legal world. Uh, but it, you know, it's something that definitely. Um, you know, I move around in regards to having an Amazon agency that's, you know, nine years old and what we've seen, you know, patents enforcements on the platform, uh, you know, e-commerce enforcements around patents, copyright, trademark, all the different types of trademark from design, trade, knowing the difference between a design mark and, a, you know, a traditional, um, how to go about getting it. You know, Amazon changed uh, their a lot of their policies around trademark because you had in order to have an established brand on Amazon at one point, you had to have a trademark registration, uh, which could take nine to 10 months. Um, they sped that up to a two week process, uh, in a lot of ways, which was like crazy from when I started it being a nine month process to like being able to get it in two weeks in regards to access on Amazon, as if it was like, you know, you still have to wait for it to fish, be official nationally. Um, but in that regard, like, wow, that was a game changer. Um, you know, I've seen, so you have to know about that. Most people say, okay, you're an Amazon expert or you're an Amazon agency, you're managing brands. Well, I know way more about trademarks and patents and enforcement and, and all of that than I probably should have, uh, you know, working hand in hand with, with what either legal or just sellers are trying to figure things out and then being like, wow, this is, this is a whole, whole arena, uh, all the way down to, um, you know, software, like, I don't know, there's been a ton of legal issues around the Amazon marketplace in general, in regards to people getting in trouble for doing things unlawfully or bribing uh, officials or bribing workers in different countries uh, that are touching Amazon things, because it's huge commerce, these things that, you know, people would be like, oh, they're, they're gamifying reviews, or they're doing, doing things like this, uh, results in millions and billions of dollars in, in some aspects, depending on who you're talking about. So never took that lightly. Uh, I really just thought like, how to, you know, I definitely moved out of like a, what is this space to a, I want to be a white hat knight in this space. You know, I was, a, I was a computer science, uh, I have a, a degree in computer science in regards to networking and security. So it was always on the side of studying and learning like anti-hacking, uh, you know, how to be more secure, how to have a safe network, um, you know, how to build security, um, uh, against attacks like this. I worked in a knock out of college, which is just a security uh, network operations control security for, for MasterCard. Um, was not my passion. Was definitely not my passion, but definitely was my education uh, in a lot of ways and learned that quickly. But I took that into, you know, I think that was just my approach when I came into this industry, like, oh, I'm going to do things the right way because that's kind of like, you know, the way I gravitated. Um, but it's super interesting and I continue to learn. And I think one thing that we can talk about um, on the show is like maybe even talking about some common mistakes that, that online sellers fall into, whether it's e-commerce, B2B, uh, Amazon, a lot of them are the same, just like the, the medium that they're selling is the same. I recently learned about ADA compliance. Like, I don't know what, what you have to share on that, but um, that was something that I just wasn't aware of, you know, but that could be a, a potentially a big risk to, um, you know, a young brand starting out. Yeah. And I can, I can certainly speak to that. So and what's happened with the Americans with Disabilities Act is it used to be about brick and mortar. And, you know, so basically you have a physical space and there's certain types of uh, entities that are what are called, you know, public accommodations. And those are the ones that are supposed to apply, you know, that this is supposed to apply to. And, you know, what has increasingly happened is that, you know, plaintiff's lawyers, and again, I, I, I say this, you know, 
as someone who thinks that accessibility on websites is a good thing, but lawsuits uh, against entrepreneurs, you know, are not good things. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think there's, um, you know, so, you know, the good thing with this, I guess, is if I educate you in advance, you can avoid the plaintiff lawyer, you know, the plaintiff's lawyer, you know, coming after you later. Um, but the, you know, what's happened is that, you know, the plaintiff's bar realized that they could essentially force every business in America to have an accessible, you know, website at the, you know, basically by sending demand letters and or suing um, to force businesses to uh, meet the accessibility standards. So the, the accessibility standard that everyone's trying to be forced to meet, according to the, the plaintiff's bar, is the Website Content Accessibility Guidelines, which are also known by the acronym WCAG. And I believe the current threshold is 2.1 level AA. Um, so that's the standard. And there are tools actually that will help you to determine whether or not you meet the standard. So an example of this would be uh, the WAVE tool, which I think Utah State has on their website. I could be wrong about which institution offers it, but you know, it's really neat, neat. It's a plugin that goes into the browser. You can go and look at your own website or really any website and just, you know, see if, you know, see what is wrong with your site um, before the plaintiff's bar, you know, finds you. Because what's what I think what's happening is these, you know, the plaintiff's attorneys, you know, troll the internet, you know, run similar tools to go find websites that, you know, aren't doing the right things. Things like, you know, offering alt text on you know images you know easy low-hanging fruit things to prove and then they they file suit or they send a demand letter basically demanding that you you know meet the standard oh and pay them you know several thousand dollars in in their legal fees for the privilege of telling you that you weren't doing it right in the first place yeah it's it's uh definitely not a good feeling what they're doing in that regard but that's why i'm you know I'm, I'm bringing it up on the show is to just make people as aware as they can you know better to spend a couple hundred bucks and be in control of that it's, it's a good thing to do as well sure i do believe that it's a good thing to do um but like you said not at the expense of like you know ruining someone's business or you know hitting them with a ten thousand twenty thousand dollar uh you know bill for you know not having some kind of compliance on their site you know there's for most websites there's there's simple plugins like you mentioned uh that can either that that can help you get that done and that's something that we did last year just across our sites that we work with um you know we build our own brands and just making sure that they were compliant i think it's the same thing as you know if you're in real estate and rentals or in any other business like you're exposed and in the web there's just not it's still so wild west that, you know, there's not a lot of thought leadership, like even this podcast, this episode, what we're talking about is online, like selling online legally and what that looks like. There's not a lot of content out there that's saying, hey, these are some of the pitfalls you can fall into uh, because it hasn't happened to that many people yet. Um, you know, uh, having insurance on your products is another one. Let's talk about that. Um, just like at what level of a small business, a little maker selling with an Etsy shop or a website or on Amazon. Um, you know, what do you really need to be doing or thinking about um, to protect yourself with your products? You know, we've all heard about someone getting sued, like McDonald's getting sued for hot coffee. Uh, you know, it's it's hot coffee, you know, uh, was the label not big enough? Like, what was that about? Um, and you can think about your products and be like, well, how's anyone going to hurt themselves with a phone case or or this or that? But there are certain things you need to think about. 
um, if you're really trying to build a brand online and sell um, to protect yourself? Do you know like some of the thresholds for like when you need insurance on, um, you know, your business as an online business, like what threshold that looks like? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know if there's like a specific number at which you cross the threshold of I should go get insurance. But okay. I, think, I think there's a way of thinking about this. So when you start a business, presumably you should form some form of, you know, limited liability company, whether that is an LLC or, you know, a more formal corporation. And, you know, basically what you do is you put your, your business in the LLC or the corporation and you're basically saying these are the assets that are tied to this business. And if there's a claim, these are the assets you can go after. Right. And so by doing that, you kind of build a certain amount of insurance in the first place. And then obviously you hope that your business will grow and expand. And, you know, when it's big enough that it justifies spending the money on the insurance premiums, because you wouldn't want to lose all the things that you've now put in this box that is, you know, your company, you know, that's really where that threshold, you know, kicks over. And so I'm not exactly sure what the premiums are on, you know, products liability insurance, but let's say they're like 10 grand, you know, or something like that for a small business that, you know, sells enough units to make a difference. Um, you know, if, if your business is worth, you know, $300,000 a year, absolutely, you should be spending the 10 grand on the products liability insurance to, you know, make sure that you uh, you know, can control that risk. If on the other hand, it's 10 grand versus 10 grand, then you're probably not at that equation yet. Right. That's, that's good advice. I do believe it to be quite a bit less than that, at least for that size of business, like, you know, sub 1 million. Yeah. Um, but you know, you start adding up these costs when you're just like, maybe for the first part, you're like, this is a side hustle turning into a business in a lot of ways. That's how a lot of people's business starts. And this is something that they're doing for extra money or passion and they're not thinking through all of these things because you start adding those things up and it's a lot of reasons to say no. You know, it's a lot of reasons to be like, this isn't even worth it. I'm paying 5,000 in insurance. I'm paying, you know, uh, 500 a month to have ADA compliant websites or I'm paying like, you know, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on and on. It can be a lot of reasons why not to do something. And that's not what I'm trying to share, but more so like once you get to the point where uh, your business is bringing in revenue that's substantial to you, these are things that you need to start thinking about um, and how to protect yourself and insulate and solidify your business, um, from those trolls, from, you know, yeah. people that are just looking for an opportunity. Um, I got a couple questions for you, but before I do shout out to our sponsor, fullscale.io, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So a couple, a couple of points I wanted to bring up and make sure our, our listeners walk away with, um, like, why do e-commerce companies need legal advice or, or a lawyer on retainer or need that as part of their team? Um, and, and, uh, let's, let's start there before I hit you with the next one. I don't want to, I don't want to complicate it, uh, but I think that that's one that's just like, why do I need a lawyer as an e-com business? Right. And I, I think the main thing is just a lawyer can keep you out of trouble in the first place. I mean, I've had a couple of different clients um, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, they just didn't talk to me. Like, you know, I, I was their counsel. I was doing work for them, but they just weren't, you know, I think in part maybe to minimize the bill or whatnot, you know, they just weren't having me work on, you know, sort of the day-to-day -day things that they were doing. 
And, you know, in each case, they didn't really have a good set of commercial terms with their customers. And so this was a B2B uh, scenario. And, you know, in each case, there were problems with the product or, or the relationship. And, you know, they ended up getting sued. And so I've had two different clients get sued in the last year where, I mean, frankly, I could have prevented, you know, I might have been able to prevent the suit altogether um, or at the very least put them in a much better position, you know, within the lawsuit for, um, you know, for just not having damages really against them. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle because, you know, ultimately I, I care about my clients and, and seeing them, you know, have to spend, you know, a lot of money, you know, on legal fees sounds like a great thing for me, but it's, it's not really my preferred position. Like I'm a corporate person. <laughs> I want my clients to succeed and do well um, without having the stress of litigation and bad things happening to them. And so you want them to stay in business so that you I know. want them to stay in business. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think that kind of regular touch with your attorney and sort of hearing what they have to say and talking about your business and what you care about and maybe, you know, something like the ADA issue that we just talked about, you know, maybe I could have flagged that and said, hey, I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, clients getting hit with this, something for you to think about. And just sort of like, you know, getting people ahead. And that's the kind of the relationship with a lawyer that you can, you know, hopefully establish. Yeah, and it's so much better to be in a position where you're paying for that legal advice when you're not, you're not in trouble. You're not, you're right. not already in legal trouble. Now you're paying to defend and like, you know, just get yourself out of it. But, you know, um, I'm going to spend a couple grand here and get more insulated and prepared to get some better advice. Or I'm going to get my contracts better. Um, this is just like something I thought of while, while you were sharing. Um, how important do you think it is? And, and this is coming from my own perspective, but I want to hear from you. Um, how important do you think it is for a young business owner or uh, as in the business being young or a newer business owner um, to like be organized when it comes down to defending them, when it comes down to like really getting yourself out of trouble, um, you know, like defending your case or like, you know, being able to present um, at least in my experience, it was like, you know, if I had been documenting better, if I had been like, you know, paying more attention to contracts or different things like that, um, most of the time, uh, whatever I'm into, I, I can get out of, or I'm like, I'm in the clear, or I'm like, you know, I, I'm protected. It's been the times that I wasn't taking good notes or documenting well, or like really being organized and couldn't find stuff that I needed that I felt the most exposed. Um, as of just a general rule of thumb, um, when it comes down to those things and you're like trying to help somebody that's in trouble, like, you know, how, how important is that? I think being organized is a very, uh, well, I mean, just in general as a life skill, it's obviously very helpful. I think in legal world in particular, I mean, yes, it, it's, it's very helpful for really all different types of things. I mean, everything from, you know, just making sure that you're on top of, you know, the customer contracts or the supplier contracts or, um, you know, whatever it might be. The interesting thing is it's not even just, you know, as you're going day to day that the organization matters, it matters on the back end. So when you actually go to sell your company or raise money, the fact that you have your, your stuff together really matters because when an investor comes to go look at your business and they will do legal due diligence and you've got everything squared away, 
it is very impressive and it makes you look it makes you look professional it makes you look good it makes them it makes you look like you're someone who's worthy of you know having this investment or or frankly you know that they can trust that they can buy your business entirely so it's a weird kind of thing to think about but you know when you're starting your business if you're organized and doing the right things it flows all the way through to when you know you're actually trying to sell either parts of or all of your business i think there's like really two two types of like you know entrepreneurs or business owners or whatever you want to call it and i'm generalizing but in general there's like you know i'm more of the creative side like i was a musician before i got into this and i'm a little bit of a hybrid because i was a techie but that would like like to be creative you know and it was like that's really what i love e-commerce is because i i feel like you get to be creative and invent and be innovative but then also you have to have a technical background to operate it and, and implement it um so but, but before i found e-commerce it was it was music it was all of these things and um i'm definitely someone that i like was very forward and early in the amazon industry and space like a creative almost like a creative move um you know caring about something before other people do uh but i've had to learn the skill over the last eight years nine years of getting organized and systems and process and there's the other type of people that are uh they start with that foot forward they might be a little bit less creative and innovative but like everything's got its its proper place and documentation and and systems and scale and those things come natural to them uh so wherever you are on that kind of tipping point um from my end i've always just wished now that i've like learned some of these things like man i wish i had documented all of this i wish i had been so much more organized um what does it look like when you talk about on the back end and being organized for a company that's trying to buy you because that is definitely something i mean i'm actually in courses not that i'm looking to exit but i'm in courses uh getting coached uh on all the things to think about for an exit and what that looks like just so that i can prepare as best as possible um is that like having all of your contracts in in nice little folders is that like you know knowing uh you know that your system your business can run without you uh, is that like having clients that might be here in long-term contracts? Like what, what does that actually mean to be organized on the back end? Right. So an easy way to sort of do this is I bet you, if you Google and I haven't done this myself, but if you Google due diligence checklist, you know, or legal due diligence checklist, I bet you can find something that sort of breaks down the kinds of things that, you know, lawyers are going to be asking of you, you know, when you go to exit or when you go to at the very least, you really? know, you know, do a, do a fund, you know, do a, a financing round. Um, and so you have to sort of break your company into bits. So you think about your company as a corporate entity, you know, so if you're an LLC, do you have an operating agreement? Does it document well what your ownership structure is and, and how you're run? Do you have minutes to show that, you know, if you have a board that, you know, show the decision-making process that has gone on on the major decisions. So if you did like a if you did bank financing, that you have minutes of showing that you approved, you know, the bank financing. So that's that's like one aspect of it. And then you might have employee aspect of it. Do you have a employee handbook? You know, do, do you have, you know, good employee contracts with, you know, your executives to, you know, reflect, you know, what those relationships are like? Do you have, you know, good customer and supplier relationships and contracts there? And you know, and, and you can break your business up into all these little component parts. And if you look at a due diligence checklist, you'd kind of get a sense of what that might look like. And obviously, the more that you have in place, the better you look. I mean, I've certainly and look, I mean, if you haven't done it, 
I've seen businesses sold literally in the last year that I've worked on where they did nothing. I mean, it was the, the business was, I, I was jokingly calling this business non-legal. Like they, they had done everything on handshakes and, you know, with, with no attention to legal for, for 20 years, built a good business and were able to sell and it worked out and it was, you know, fine yep. for them. And, you know, I was on the buy side and our buyer, you know, in that instance, you know, was, was reasonably okay with that. And, but, you know, it still creates friction when, you know, you, you know, as a, if you're the buyer side, you're trying to get a business that's clean. And so the more that you, you know, have, you know, these points where it's just not that clear that everything's been done correctly, there's that extra nervousness that comes in. And, and sometimes that can infect the deal terms. So for example, you know, a lot of, M&A transactions will have, you know, escrows and whatnot of, of money being set aside to cover potential claims. And, you know, if the business is not particularly clean and, and the buyer's nervous, the, the escrow demand might be higher because they're just less confident that everything's been, you know, managed correctly. It's like, it's like buying a property and doing inspections and being like, you know, we just don't really know what this, you know, floor is like once we're going to rip this, this carpet up, you know, we just don't know, or, or foundation being, you know, and they're going to come back and, and make a lower offer because, you know, they don't, they don't know all these things or maybe, you know, in, in that circumstance, just to relate it, like, you know, someone's looking at the foundation of your business and, and having questions, um, you know, it's going to be a question mark on that process instead of it being like proactively. So we've, we've like, you know, we've talked about proactively, like what you can do, which is like being organized and being ADA compliant and, and, and you know, getting your trademarks or like, those are all pretty much proactive things you can do, uh, you know, to not get in trouble. Let's end the last part of the show. Um, hearing from you a little bit about like what kind of issues e-commerce companies uh, run into with trolls or like uh, just with, I guess, people looking for opportunities to like, you know, um uh, have a lawsuit or, or get a brand in trouble? What are some of the, some of the issues um, that you've seen uh, working with e-commerce companies? Yeah. So some of these, some of these are actually kind of easy to, to really flag out. So an, an easy one is copyright issues. So, you know, generally with, with images, it's the person who created it. So if it's a photographer, it's the person who took the picture, you know, owns that particular, you know, photo. And increasingly what I've, what I've seen is that, you know, sometimes people will just, you know, use things they find on the internet and say, I can use this, right? And the answer is no. And what's happening more and more is that, especially for things that might be, you know, stock photography or from the big agencies, you know, they have someone trolling the internet with, with bots looking for, you know, where, you know, images get used. They find that you've used an image and, you know, they'll have a lawyer send, you know, demand letter for, you know, roughly maybe $5,000, $1,000, whatever it might be saying you used our image without our permission, without paying, you know, pay us. And it's just such a, it's, it's such an unforced error because it's, it's so easy just to, you know, if, especially for stock photography, you know, just pay the money or, you know, or just at the very least understand, you know, where the images you're, you're using come from and, you know, make sure that you have the license. You know, and if, if it's a friend who took the photos or, you know, someone, you know, that you've paid or maybe you haven't paid them um, and that's the problem, you know, it's just, you gotta, you have to make sure that before you start, 
building your website based off upon these these photos that you make sure you have the rights because if you don't then let's say hypothetically you have a dispute with your photographer and you've had them take you know a thousand photos for you of your entire product line but then they try to charge you triple you know you might be in a position where they'll try to take your whole website down using a dmca complaint and and trust me no i mean they'll the the website will do it because the alternative is really just to to have a copyright claim against the website itself um and so it's it's that that to me is an enforced error is you know so just making sure you have the copyright rights you know set um i think another example is obviously and 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 you know you were mentioning this andrew is trademarks i mean making sure that you know when you go to brand that you really you know make sure that you have you know some proper clearance um you know in the you know copper clearance done you know make sure that you you know you understand sort of where you live within an ecosystem with your brand it's very rare that you're ever going to have like a perfectly clear completely imaginative brand that no one is anywhere near you but at the very least you can you know understand sort of what your risks are before you go to market with a particular you know branding and and especially you know if you're taking something like you know like I'll just give a, an easy example but if you're going to you know be using something with three stripes you know you know you know Adidas is going after literally everybody with that like so if you're adjacent to somebody that's really aggressive like clothing companies I think are infamous for this especially you just know that you you shouldn't be going into that ecosystem um and and picking that fight um you know and i think and and this is i think what you were you know thinking about a little bit andrew is also just it's not just how you stay out of trouble you know from you know plaintiffs lawyers and and others but i think it's also how do you defend your brand and so you know a lot of law and a lot of what i'm sort of talking about is sort of you know thinking about law as being you know a shield right and so you know saying if i do all these right things like i'm going to be protected against this kind of claim or this but you know i think sometimes you have to think about sort of use you know when when you can do things to help protect yourself a little more aggressively up front um and so you know an example of this is i've seen you know a few different you know clients of mine you know have people kind of impersonate them and so you know if you create you know a brand like you know startup hustle you probably want to own 50 domains around it right so startup hustles startuphustle.org startuphustle.net because if you don't then you know someone can impersonate you like that and then all of a sudden like you know they they start sending out emails impersonating you you know maybe doing scams um it's happening to me right now on on social media like you know there's probably three accounts or so on Instagram that look it's crazy because they actually have like my videos my posts like everything right it's like a nuance of a letter or an underscore or something you can't even really tell even if you've been following me a long time um and they're sending out DMs you know they're like acting as me at this time and and going straight to Instagram does nothing for me exactly it's so I mean it it can be really hard to affirmatively stop these folks because again even if you own 50 combinations you know there's always probably going to be the one that you you miss 
but at the same time, you can you can really narrow the field and make it that much harder for them. And you know, I've had clients you know within the last year, um, really this one really rapidly expanding you know um, e-commerce and also just retail, um, physical retail company, you know, really run into trouble against someone who was out for them. Um, you, you know, basically copied their website you know, changed one letter in the domain somehow, I don't know how, but effectively got them out of locked out of their own Facebook account, um, was running ads, basically pretending to be them, you know, and point by point we went through and, you know, managed to get most of these things down over time. Um, certainly having a registered trademark in this helps because it just makes that process that much faster to get these things down. Um, but you know, you really, it's, it's hard, you know, and it's, and it's reactive. And so the more that you can do up front to sort of limit the issues as much as you can, the better, because that's, uh, you know, that's, that's really all you can do to protect yourself. Um, is yeah, it's like, it's kind of like, I kind of think of it like creating a moat, like it's an old school, you know, thing, but like, you know, it's the water around a castle where, you know, the whoever's attacking the castle can't even get close uh, without going through this tar, this, you know, this water slows them down, you know, so it's the thing, you know, castles have still been sieged or there's other ways of doing it, but it really slows things down. And I think that's kind of what I think of as like, you know, insulating yourself with trademarks and or copyright $60, like you can get a copyright on your images that you're using for like $60 if you submit it yourself or something like that, you know, which is, it's not a trademark, it's not a patent, but it's it's a lot more than than having nothing at all. Uh, and, and on channels like Amazon, it's enough to be able to police your brand. Um, and, you know, most people just think like, uh, you know, they're not thinking, they're not thinking about, well, I don't want to spend 60 for that. Well, what, what are you losing in branding or what are you losing in reputation or what are you losing in potential sales uh, from not doing those things? So, you know, a lot of times when it comes to advertising on Amazon, we're, we're advertising all around the brand to protect them and insulate them. Um, and, you know, you really don't give these things as much, uh, I guess, attention or value that, that you really should until something bad happens. And that's what's like, you know, so bad about those kinds of things is that it really takes almost like getting whacked upside the head, so to speak, uh, for you to be able to pay attention to this stuff. And as an agency owner and, and you on the other side, I think we can both, you know, we're just harping on, uh, you know, pay attention to these things. Uh, you, you're not a victim till till it happens, you know, kind of thing. But like once you get in deep with with a competitor that's really out for you, it can be really bad. And, you know, what are the things you've done um, to protect yourself? This is this is a great, a uh, lot of value, Russ. You know, thank you for sharing all this. I, we're coming up on time. So I have a hard stop for us. But before we before we jump off, um, where can people come in contact with you, you know, your personal brand, uh, you know, if they're looking for help, legal help, like what's the best way to contact you directly, um, you know, outside the firm? Sure. So best way to contact me is just, you know, Russell Anderson and that randerson at polcom.com, which is my email address. Okay. Can you spell, can you just spell that? that uh, sure. R Anderson with an O at the end and that's at polcom, okay. P-U-L-L-C-O-M.com. Perfect. And we'll have all of this in, in the show notes for anyone that's like, you know, uh, on a computer listening to the podcast, but for anyone driving, um, I hope that's been helpful. Um, you know, we're sharing this kind of information for free. You know, these are, this is not stuff uh, that you, you get all the time. And, and, you know, I don't love talking about all the bad things that can happen, but I think it's, it's, it's important to really think about. And 
Uh, it's more so like, you know, being in the gym, being healthy, being fit, stretching so that whenever like something comes along, you feel like, you know, you're prepared to handle whatever comes. So Russ, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. And, and hustlers, uh, shout out again to our, our sponsor pool scale. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders Let pool scale help? They have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders at Fullscale. They specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. Uh, always a mouthful, always a lot of fun uh, hanging out with you guys, hustlers. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.